You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Autumn, and this is episode 144 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. And today, Jesper is on break, and instead, I have a very special guest with us. So Carla, who is the host of the Fight Right podcast, plus you have a website and classes and so much more. So I want you to introduce yourself. Okay. I am Carla Hoke, and uh, I am the uh, purveyor, I guess that's the word for it. Oh, I love of, that. Uh, the fight, the, yeah, the Fight Right brand. Uh, mm-hmm. I have um, the website, Fight Right, F-I-G-H-T-W-R-I-T-E.net, and it's kind of a one-stop shop for everything that has to do with Fight Right, which um, helps writers write fight scenes, action, and violence. And I have a book with Writer's Digest, and it is Fight Right, How to Write Believable Fight Scene. And I have class with Writer's Digest University that's always in their library, and hopefully we'll have more in the fall. Oh, I guess it is fall. We'll have more soon. (laughs) That's fantastic. This year, I'm telling you, this year has been slow and fast at the same time. It's either in, you know, park or Or it's in full speed ahead. Right, exactly. Yeah, and and in some ways, days can be have elements of both, and so I'm not sure where we are (laughs) in the universe. Yeah, well, you know, they say that the days are long, but the years are short. Oh yes, and that's just kind of how it works. It's very, very true. That is awesome. And I remember, I think your website has actually won something from Writer's Digest too, like best blog. It it has. Several times. It's it's in their um, top 100 websites for writers and they have different categories. And I think mine was in the category of writers uh, helps, writers tools. Um, So three years and I have won uh, a brand award twice with uh can christian authors network that is so brilliant i'm well, very congratulations. thankful for that. yeah, yeah thankful. that is fantastic and so i do want to give a shout out because it was actually the secret that how we met is a joint listener steven recommended that i see if you wanted to come on the am writing fantasy podcast because he thought we would just very be- cool it's like dream dino duo. So, oh, good. Yeah. So big shout out to Steven as a thank you for introducing us and making this podcast happen. And what's his last name? Google it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Alrighty. All right. Well, I, you have quite the background in fighting yourself. So I do. I think that is really interesting. So this came about because you're also a writer and a fighter? Yeah. It, well, it came about because I was a writer. And this is a, a classic case of the days being long, but the years being short. Because it <laughs> seems like I just kind of started. But it's it's been like 10 years. 10 wow. years since I started martial arts. I can't believe that. But um, it all started because I was writing um, a work that had fight scenes in it. And I didn't know how mm-hmm. to fight. Nice. And so um, I, my kids, I had my kids in Taekwondo. I think they were in like first grade. And <laughs> um, 
yeah, kindergarten or first grade. And there was a self-defense class that was at the Taekwondo studio. And I went to a couple classes. I thought, you know, how much really do I need to know? I mean, <laughs> one or two classes. Surely I'll know everything I need to know to write fight scenes. And I got in there and I kind of loved it. And it That's just awesome. it just kind of snowballed from there. And the strange thing is I was asked in a podcast one time. And this was the hardest question I've ever been asked. It was like, what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you? And I'm like, where do, where do I even start with that? But one <laughs> of the weird things, my life tends to backpedal. Like okay. it's cir- you know, circular. Like I taught at a high school that was the Raiders and then moved to a whole new city, whole, whole new state and the Raiders. Oh, you know, and it's like this person I knew and then boom, this person I knew with the same name, coaches, exact same names. And I'm oh, like, I, I'm not planning this. <laughs> but um, I went to a writer's conference and I, I had the work with me that I started taking um, self-defense for. The whole reason I started wanting to know how to learn fight scene was this particular work. And I went to a writer's conference and I presented it to a man named Steve Lobby. Um, who I did not know. I, I had no idea who he was. Uh, turned out he was Steve Lobby of the Steve Lobby Agency. He was the head <laughs> of a uh, a writer's agency. And I presented it to him. And uh, he he didn't really, he, he didn't like it, you know, which I, I'm okay with that. And he said, I don't like the work. It's not right for me, but I do like you. So let's keep in touch. And so year after year after year, we would see each other. If you don't go to writers' conferences, writers, I highly suggest it because it's it's the adult version of camp. Oh, you fun. see these same people. It is. You see these same people year after year after year. And so um, I kept up with him. And anytime we saw each other at a writers' conference, we would make time to kind of sit and chat because we get along really well. And nice. when I wrote the book, um, uh-huh. I got in touch with him and I was like, would, you know, what do you, would you like to read this book? He's like, of course I'd like to read it. So he oh. read it and he said, cause he also has an imprint, uh-huh. um, of small house publishing for craft books. And he goes, I do love this book. He goes, I don't have it in my budget right now. And I'm like, well, you know what? I, I, I sent it to writer's digest and he goes, you did what? I said, I sent it to Writer's Digest and he started laughing and he was like, okay, girl. He said, you go for it. And he goes, he said, you know, just be patient. Uh It'll take about six weeks for them to get back to you. And if you haven't heard from them by then, then just, you know, reach out. And I said, I'll do that. And it was not six weeks. It was six days. Oh my gosh. Miraculous. I know. Miraculous. And so I uh, sent him a message back and I said, would you be interested in representing a Writer's Digest author? And he said, maybe. And so the first person I really pitched this book to, the whole Uh reason I started writing fight scenes is now my editor, no, my (laughs) agent for a book about writing fight scenes. So full circle, full circle. Really good kismet there. That is really cool. It really is. It really is. Writers don't give up. No. Writing, honestly, is just a war of attrition. It, it, it's about <laughs> successful authors aren't necessarily the best writers. I mean, come on. We've we've all read some books. They were like, why? I mean, I've read books and I'm like, how has this person got this book out? And I don't have this book out. But it really is. It's the difference in who who gave up and, and who didn't. I was a high school teacher and a track coach for a while. And there was a, psych, a psychological study done that when two runners are running side by side, after mm-hmm. three strides, one of them will probably give up. Oh, interesting. And so I used to coach my runners and say, three full strides. 
and I, time and time again. And I think that's how it is with writers. Keep the strides. Somebody's going to give up and you're going to be the one left standing. So just, just don't give up. Keep pushing. I love that. And I think that is so true because it's, I know I've read recently that it's 10 years and 1 million words before you can really start seeing your career take off. Oh yeah. And that's true. That's, a lot, that's yeah, true. That's a long time. I there's a lot of authors, it is a long you know, time. one or two books and that's, they're feeling, they're feeling it then they want to see something then, but to really come into your own no. 10 years, 1 right. million the, words. Right. And in the average book in its lifetime, mm -hmm. in its lifetime, a published book only sells 2,000 copies right. in its lifetime. Wow. So if you look and you think, okay, I've self-published this book or I've traditionally published this book and, you know, I've only sold 100 books this first year. Well, yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> you know, people who are rich from writing, first mm -hmm. of all, are probably lying or... <laughs> or they have, you know, a ton of books, or they are just kind of, you know, this kind of lightning in a bottle kind right. of situation, you know, the JK Rowlings, you know, yes. that just hit it big. So um, if, if you, you know, if you're struggling, if you're not selling as many as you think you should sell, if you're like, well, I still have my day job, well, that makes you a writer, correct? Yeah. All and of those it, things. Yeah. You might get one series that sells and you might get, you know, three years later, it might die off. Exactly. And there might be one, one, right. a new one that isn't selling. It's also, I love uh, right. Joanna Penn for that. She's very practical saying it's not a linear curve. You don't hit it big and stay up there forever. It's not. You got to work for it it's every not. day. And, right. And, and one of the reasons why I, I love what I do is because I do love fight training and I do love mm -hmm. writing and they, they have so much in common. When you are um, a fighter, a martial artist of any kind, you're not going to walk onto the mat and immediately be a success. Right. You, have to, you have to take your lumps for a very mm -hmm. long time. And, and it's, you feel very defeated a lot. I had a, mm -hmm. uh, a new um, white belt say, I've been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've done a wide swath of things, but the one that yeah. I just, I really am sticking with. Yeah, I have, uh, is Brazilian <laughs> jiu-jitsu. I've been doing it about seven years, including, nice. you know, quarantine and time off <laughs> yeah. with surgery and stuff. And, and Oof. the kids, uh, this white belt said, well, I just feel lost all the time. And I was like, uh. yeah, me too. And she was like, what do you mean you feel lost all the time? I'm like, that's just how it is. And that's one of the things I love about this art. So you really just have to keep plugging along. You mm -hmm. have to take your lumps and not everybody's going to give you a good review. And that's, that's okay. True. I call those, and some people will give you a negative review simply because they're a negative person. Mm, Don't so always true. assume it is about your book, mm -hmm. um, especially if it's ugly. You know, mm, what, yeah. some, the, what someone says may be based on our actions, but the way they choose to say it is about them. Oh, and so, so yeah, yeah, you're going to have some people give you a one-star review. You're going to have some people who are very snarky and they may be fellow writers that you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. oh, and true. that's okay. And I liken that to, you know, people who aren't your fans. You know, when I'm competing, not everybody's cheering for me. Yeah. That's okay. They're not my fans. I don't right. expect them to cheer for me. So, um, you know, when you, when you do have people that are critical of you for in an unproductive way, criticism is incredibly important. You don't get better without somebody showing you, you know, you, where you need to improve. But right. unproductive criticism, that's not about you. It's not no. about your work. 
those are just not your, that's not your team. That's not your fans. So when you write, keep your team in mind. When I compete, I'm not competing for the people who hate me and want my (laughs) opponent to win. I'm competing for my teammates and my coach. So you just kind of have to have that, that same um, attitude when you write. Just, yeah, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't take the easy way out. Exactly. And so true. And I do know it is human nature right, that we, for what do they say, like you can have 10 good reviews, but it's that one oh, bad yeah. review out of the 10 that is the one that sticks right. in your mind. And it's just like, well, if you look oh, yeah. at the numbers, you probably have more good reviews than bad. So focus on oh, yeah. those differences. Yeah. Right. Right. And you know what? I actually learned a lot from uh, a review I got on Goodreads. Um, one of the reviews, I I forget how many stars it was. Um, it, I mean, it wasn't five stars. I think it was like two or three. And, and the lady said that, uh, I just, she told me the subjects that she wished had been in my book. Oh, that's, that's helpful. One of the things she, yeah. One of the things she asked was, but how does a person fight when they don't know how to fight? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's a brilliant question. And so I actually reached out to her and I thanked her for her review. And I said, you know, I had never even considered that. And so I wrote a whole blog post about (laughs) it. So reviews are all negative reviews, not necessarily negative critical reviews are only bad if Mm. you don't learn something from them. But again, if they're ugly and mean spirited, that's not about you. Yeah. It's not about about you. Don't even let it bother Mm -mm. you and move on. No. Yeah, move on. Exactly. So my big question for you, and I want to get into like tips and other things you see authors doing wrong, but why should an author care if they're writing a fight scene correctly? That is a very good question. And I liken it to um, how a boxer wraps their hands before they fight. You know, Mm -hmm. you see boxers with these gloves on, but what people don't know is you take off those gloves and you have yards and yards of cloth. There are people who work for the fighter sometimes personally, or they work for the event and their job is to wrap hands. It's that important. Mm -hmm. And what you do is you wrap a hand tightly and you pull all the bones together Mm -hmm. so that when um, contact is made, the force is distributed evenly over Mm -hmm. all the bones. If you compromise that and you break, you get what's called a boxer's break, and it's a break Mm. in the pinky on this very, very edge, it'll take you out of the fight. It doesn't matter how many other amazing bones you have or how (laughs) great you punch. That one tiny crack compromises the whole. And so that's kind of how I see, you know, with fight scenes, if you have done your work, if you Mm. have done your research and you are proud of this, why not give your fight scene as much importance as everything else, because you have to serve your story. And I was asked recently what that means. And it was like, you only put things in the work that further the work. If your mm-hmm. fight scene is in there, there's a purpose for it. Oh, yeah. So, you know, make it believable. You know, don't make it absolutely corn ridiculous <laughs> because when you do that, or just don't do any research at all or anything like that, um, it, you're, you're letting yourself, sit open for a boxer's break. Mm-hmm. And though it's the tiniest bone and it may just be a tiny crack, it compromises the entire work's ability to pack a punch pretty much. I like that. 
And I do agree. I mean, we sit there and Google, you know, that, that lovely mem that it's like, when did you become a neurosurgeon? And you're like, last night, you know, we yes. Google and research <laughs> so now. much. Yeah. Right. So right. much. And it's true, but a lot of people assume they know how to fight and they assume how fighting goes. And I mean, I see this a lot because I'm a big hiker and backpacker and I go into a, like, mm, especially fantasy class. Yeah, you go into a fantasy yes. quest and like they're not carrying a backpack. They have no food with them, but they somehow do fine for two weeks. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, how? absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah. Fighting is just like that. You know, hiking is its own language. Yes, literally its own language. There's little symbols that you know. There's things that <laughs> there you are. know to take. There really are. There really are. Yeah. You know. And my daughter and I went. We learned this the hard way. We went on a short little jaunt in Colorado, Ooh. and I am in Houston. We are below sea level here. Mm -hmm. You know, and you get oh, to Colorado, Colorado, and Colorado is yeah super stingy yeah. with its oxygen. I don't know <laughs> what the deal is. You know, Colorado, share your oxygen. Yeah. It's okay. And we got maybe a quarter mile in, and I have a picture of my daughter leaning over, supporting herself on her thighs, just breathing. I was like, yeah, we probably should have gone into this whole thing differently. But it is fighting. Fighting is like a foreign language. And people like hiking. People like, well, I know how to walk. I know how to hike. You know, and people like, well, I've seen fighting on TV. You know, oh, I know yeah. I know how to throw a punch. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's akin to, uh, well, I speak English, so I guess I can teach it. Mm, right. No, be, no doesn't mean you, you know can't. everything. It, it is. Yeah. It is. It really is fighting like hiking is its own language. Yeah. It really is. And so, um, it, you know, when you watch people on TV fight and it looks so easy, there's a reason for that. Mm. Well, <laughs> they've, been they've been practicing. They've been practicing. It's choreographed. I mean, there's a lot going into creating a fight yeah. scene that you're going to watch. It looks so yes. effortless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even like in professional fights, you watch a mm -hmm. professional fight and you're like, well, that's not so hard. Oh, my gosh. You have no <laughs> idea the work that goes into it. And you yeah. really don't until you start training and you're like, oh, okay. P knowing how to punch is only this much. It's the timing and the movement and knowing how to defend and, you know, setting up different things. So it, it's harder than it, it is harder than people think. It yeah, is. And I, yeah, I, I do have a lot of people come to me with fight scenes and I'm just like, or here's <laughs> another thing, you know, they have um, a person in their work. Well, this person does such and such fighting style. I'm like, oh, cool. How long have you done that? Oh, oh I've never done it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I respect the challenge, uh -huh. but it's like, why would you be willing to write an entire scene in Portuguese if you didn't speak Portuguese? Right. You know, I yeah. really don't think you would just trust Google Translate. You'd you want somebody who actually spoke Portuguese. Yeah, don't. As a foreign <laughs> language teacher, former foreign language, don't don't always trust it. You know, you would want somebody who actually speaks that language to look at it and say, "Well, that's not really how this works." You know, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's not it's not as easy as it as it looks. And if you read a fight scene that's done very well, um, it didn't just flow out. You know, Chuck Palahniuk, the writer of Fight Club. Mm. He's been writing a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and he, to this day, to this day, if I'm not mistaken, um, he's still in writing groups. Wow. He still has people critique his work. He still has the beta reader, you know. Uh -huh. So um, the, the learning never ends. It no. doesn't. And the easier somebody makes it look, the more work has gone into it. Guaranteed. Uh, I can go. I can definitely agree with that. 
And so what are, yeah. what do you think are some of the worst things you see, or maybe the most the things authors tend to use that is just not true in a fight scene? So the, some of the worst offenses well, what, you've seen. The worst offenders, the greatest offenders. Um, <laughs> I also write for Writer's Digest blog. I do a monthly um, fight scene kind of blog post for them. And the one that I recently did was about writing authentic Ooh. fight scenes. Everybody, okay. one of the things I see is everybody wants it to be authentic. Oh, well, that's not true. Okay, no, you don't. You don't want it to be authentic. If we wanted everything to be exactly as it is when we walk outside our door, there would be no fantasy. There would right. be no sci-fi because we don't see those things around them. And it was Ernest Hemingway said it is a writer's job to write the truth. Mm -hmm. And that is that is true. But I don't think he meant true as in factual. I think he mm -hmm. meant true to the human condition because if you've read Old Man in the, Old Man in the Sea – Clearly, he didn't mean for the wife because you have this old man at, at, for whom the short story is named, named Santiago, yes. who fights a marlin, yes. a marlin that is longer than his skiff by just holding the fishing line. Okay, we can stop. Never mind all the things that come after that. The man is dragged for three days. He ends up fighting off sharks. And I'm like, okay, that's not authentic. No. You know, authentic is the marlin takes it. And he grabs it and it pulls him overboard and snaps at the yeah, same that's time. Pretty much life. So, right, it is. And the true thing you want is truth to the human experience, the human condition, you know. And so I think sometimes people get so bogged down with wanting their fight scene to be authentic right. that they don't serve the story. It's like they'll mm -hmm. make it authentic to the point to where they'll sacrifice the scene if they have to. But here's the truth of actual fights. And I'll just use fights on the street, for example. Okay. Um, most of them are over under 30 seconds, and that's a generous Ooh. estimate. Okay? okay. Um, there is next to no banter and talking. <laughs> um, well, that's no fun. Uh, <laughs> I know. And most of the people involved don't know how to fight violent offenders the majority mm -hmm. of the time. They pick their um, target in under seven seconds. And it's not about their height. Mm -hmm. It's about the way they walk, oh, you know? Yeah. And so it's all these things that if you're going to make your fight scene completely authentic, it it's, may not work for the story. If mm -hmm. Hemingway had made the old man in the sea completely authentic, well, it would have ended after the first 10 paragraphs, right. you know? So what you want, rather than striving for complete authenticity, just like the mm -hmm. title of my book, Fight Right, How to Write Believable Fight right. Scenes, you want it to be believable. And I don't think that betrays the art because how many times have we watched movies and we were like, oh man, that was so real. But we know it wasn't. Right. We know for a fact what we saw was not real, mm -hmm. but we believed it in that moment. and and. That's the writer's job, you know? So number one, don't aim for 100% authenticity. Aim for believability. Two, don't write so much. Honestly, <laughs> writers care more, more than what kind of fight it was, what kind of footwork went into the, the sword play and everything. What they care about most is the impact it has on the fighters, Mm -hmm. You know, on the story as a whole, that's truly what matters. And I, I don't edit fight scenes very often, but every now and then I do contract work for different people and 
and publishers. And uh, I worked with a lady who her fight scene, I forget one scene was, I forget how many thousands of words, not thousands, over a thousand. I do remember that. And I highlighted a few things and I said, you know, these are great. Everything else just kind of needs to go. (laughs) And she was kind of surprised. And I said, it's not serving the story. It's really not. You have to think of it like a navigation app. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're driving and the navigation app says, here's a mailbox, here's a road, there's a two-story house, now here's this road. If it tells you all those things, it's going to divert your attention to your destination. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't put too much into it. And so I I tell people a a good rule to kind of think of is um, only write what you would see illustrated in a comic book or graphic novel. Very nice. Because the real estate in those is so prime. You know, every single page of a comic book and graphic novel is Mm -hmm. major money. Every Mm -hmm. single page. And so they have to make the most of it. And so what they do is they highlight the major portions of the fight. They leave the rest of it to Mm -hmm. the reader's imagination. And our Mm -hmm. readers are smart. They can do that. And um, they also make it a very much sensory experience, and mm-hmm. which leads me probably to another thing. I think people are focusing more on um, the actions than the impact of the actions. You really want to focus on the sensory details because that's what everybody can relate to. Right. Not everybody can relate to being stabbed with a katana. Thank heavens. <laughs> Thank goodness, but, yes. But... Yes, but we can identify with searing pain. Mm-hmm. And by the way, in my book, I go over, dif- I've, I mean, firsthand account from people who've experienced different wounds to tell you Ooh. kind of the, yeah, kind of the entire spectrum of different things experienced. You know, people know the blood. They know what blood mm-hmm. looks like. They know what a scream sounds like. They can mm-hmm. understand looking down and seeing your own blood on your hands and it freaking you out. Mm-hmm. So you really want to hit your reader, um, make them feel it. Right. it. It's not what you say. It's how how you make them feel. You know, you can look back at books. Um, my judo coach is, is um, taking some type of class and every now and then he'll say, Hey, have you read this? Have you read this? And he said something about Anton Chekhov. And I don't remember what by Anton Chekhov I read, but I remember thinking I liked that. So I don't remember the words, but I remember the feeling connected to it. And Maya Angelou said people, and this is so important. (laughs) Think, remember this as you walk throughout the world, people, people will forget what you say, but they won't forget how you made them feel. That's right. And so in your fight scene, they will forget the grip you had, mm-hmm. you know, the caliber caliber of bullet, what type of sword, the foot movement. But they're going to walk away and remember how they felt. And I, right. I, I use Chuck Palahniuk again as another example. There's a young man at uh, my gym who uh, is wants to write and he's really good good. Like I, he has a blog and I, I mean, this kid is like 16 and I read his blog and I'm like, I'm a terrible writer. This kid is so much better writer than I am. And he asked me one time, uh, well, what, you know, what are some writers you like? And I said, you know, for a sensory experience, Chuck Mm -hmm. Palahniuk hits it pretty hard. And the kid read 
one of his short stories. And I warned him. I said, now, Chuck Palahniuk is gritty. He, he's mm-hmm. not a nice and tidy writer. And uh, he goes, okay. And he came back and he told me, you know, the short story he had read. I think it's called Guts. And he goes, um, I'm still horrified by it. And I want to take lots of showers. And I was like, right? Isn't that awesome? So even though he doesn't, you know, years from now, he may forget the words of that story. But he's going to remember that when he got done, he was like, oh, my gosh. So, you know, that's what you want to read, leave your reader oh, yeah. with. You know, um, lastly, probably is less is more. It, mm. it really is. You know, I think we've all seen somebody who had on too much makeup, you oh, know, yeah. and you look at them and you just think, oh, my gosh, with half that makeup, you would look amazing. You know, sometimes too much is not enough. It's like. And my coach asked me yesterday, hey, do you want to spar? And I'm like, yeah, I want to spar. That's like Starbucks asking me if I want whipped cream. Don't insult me. Yes, I want whipped cream. Yes, of course I want whipped cream. The rule should be if you don't want it, say it. There shouldn't right. even be a question about it. Um, so, But when it comes to writing, um, especially in the time that we live in, if you read um, more classic works like um, you know Jane Austen, mm-hmm. Bronte, um, D.H. Lawrence. Oh, I love D.H. Lawrence. They tell you everything. They tell you about the pebbles on the walkway. They tell you everything about the daisies and the sun. Okay, but those were also people who didn't have TV. Mm -hmm. And so books were their TV. You really have to get into all the details. And we're a different society now for Mm -hmm. good and bad. Um, (laughs) I think they've said that uh, humans officially have a a shorter attention span than goldfish. No kidding. <laughs> Great. And um, which is one of the reasons. Well, I mean, it's true. I mean, we're, yeah. we're multitaskers. We jump to so many things. And for that reason, um, they do suggest that we make our chapters shorter. You mm-hmm. know, if you're a YA author, they tell you, hey, make short chapters because teenagers that read YA, which actually the audience for YA is like 18 to 35, yeah. they want to <laughs> feel that feeling of progression. You know, mm-hmm. oh, I got this chapter done. I got this chapter done. And so um, we live in a very short attention span society. And so you have got to make the most of every single word. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelangelo, they ask him how he created David. And a lot of people have heard this. He said, I just took a rock, a piece of stone, and I took away everything that wasn't David. You, you know, and, he, and that's, how, that's mm-hmm. how it is. You have to edit. You have to edit. What is it they say? Um, edit with a knife or edit with a sword or something like that. But, you know, you, you write, oh, well, Hemingway again, he said, yes. write drunk, edit sober. Yep. You have to be willing to really cut things down, even if it's something you love, which reminds me of another thing about fight scenes. Oh, I yeah. think some, and I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. I think sometimes we write to teach rather than reach. And that's the wrong way to go about it. We want to show the reader, look how much research I've done. I'm not a surgeon, but I play one in this book, you know? (laughs) And uh, when, if you're teaching your, unless you're writing a craft book, duh. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about fiction and informational nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Um, your goal is to reach your reader, not yeah. be teaching your reader. If you have to constantly be defining things in your work, mm-hmm. you've made an error. And, and you know that when you use technical lingo in your work, you risk losing your reader. Definitely. You know, it can take 
it can take, when you send in your work to an agent or an editor, they ask for the first 50 pages. They used to. I don't know what they ask for anymore, but usually it's first 50 pages. So in their reading, their, their idea is if you don't have me in that 50 pages, you don't have me. Mm-hmm. So it can take, you know, a ton of time to really get a reader in your work, but it can take a page to lose them. Absolutely. You know, and, and you don't want that. So don't isolate your readers, you know, and again, sometimes you have to use technical lingo. And I think print the princess bride, the book is absolutely a perfect example of that. Um, just like the movie, which that is one of those that the book and the movie really do each other justice. They do. You know, it's not one that like, Oh, this is so much better. Oh, you know, they're really both very tongue in cheek and funny, but the fight between Wesley as the dread pirate Roberts and Inigo, Mm -hmm. they start uh, the very first one where they're spitting out all that technical lingo. Yes. It's the same thing in the book. Same thing. But it talks about their foot movement and about, and not he steps right, but dust coming off the ground. Okay. That's a picture. You told me how fast they're moving. And uh, you realize that they're shooting out this technical lingo to outdo one another. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it matters. Right. Um, technical lingo also matters if you have someone who has an expertise or proficiency with something. It mm-hmm. makes sense that they're going to use some words. You know, um, a, a police officer wouldn't call the trigger the pew pew thingy. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> no. Uh, somebody who works with knives isn't going to call it the sticky part, you know, right. the stabby end. Um, so, yeah, y- you need to know the technical lingo there. But at the same time, you need to show the reader what that means. Right. You don't tell them, you don't tell them, but, but you show it. So yes. um, don't worry, aim for believability rather than authenticity. Mm-hmm. Number two, less is more. Mm-hmm. Three, right to reach rather than teach. And I think I've missed one in there. But um, yeah, start there. And, and honestly, I give you permission to not write so much. That burden has been lifted off of you. (laughs) You do not have to convince your reader that you are an expert in this. You only have to convince your reader that the character is an expert at this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Unless they aren't, but yes. (laughs) Unless they aren't, which is statistically more likely. It is strange how many people in books know how to fight when the average population yeah, does not yeah. they absolutely don't when i'm at writing conferences uh, one of the things i i do is i'll say okay make a fist and hold it up and it's <laughs> shocking wrong. the majority of people just don't know how to make a fist and i'm like that's a why would you know how to make a fist nobody's taught you so i give you permission to not know something it's mm-hmm. absolutely okay you know and when it comes to fighting there are some great resources out there there are some great fighting resources yeah mine happens to be a fighting resource from the perspective of a writer, mm-hmm. which is is very, very different. No, so I think I answered agree. your question. I think oh. I did. If I don't answer the question, say, nope, circle back. <laughs> no, circle back. you did great. So yes, you listed definitely some things that authors are doing wrong. And mm-hmm. I agree because I think there's often a tendency to focus on the wrongs, wrong aspects. I'll yes. see descriptions of like the sword hilt coming towards you and you're like, you wouldn't know the emblem as it's about to knock you in the forehead. No, you would not. You would not. 
Absolutely and not. Mm-mm. Then I see, you know, there a wound is mentioned, but not the pain that goes with it. And then it seems like a chapter later, the character is fine. And I'm like, well, if you'd focus oh my on gosh. the pain, yeah. How the that's healing feel ability of people. Oh it's Holy amazing. cow, these people heal so fast. Yes. yes. If you want to go into the tiny nuances, yeah, healing time is a thing, people. Yeah. And if your character is on the battlefield a lot, just because <sighs> you don't get knocked out doesn't mean you don't have a concussion. Right. Just because you're knocked out doesn't mean you do have a concussion. <laughs> and when you do get knocked out from a punch, you're not out all day. It's um sometimes 10 seconds, sometimes yeah. 30 seconds. You know, so you don't have time to have a whole scene and, you know, now, I mean, of course, when it comes to the human body, there's going to be variables, yeah. you know, it depends on the age, the person the, and all that. Um, on my Instagram, I'm on Instagram at Carla, C-A-R-L-A dot C dot Hoke, H-O-C-H, or you can just hashtag fight right. Once a week, I do um, like a little Ooh. fight right tip or I put nice. in um, a blog post that you might want to read. And one that I have coming up, I don't know when it's scheduled. It, I think it's sometime this month, but it is um, the healing of bruise, bruise nice. healing time and the different colors and the spectrum it goes through. <laughs> and one of the things I say is, you know, this is dependent upon the age of the person, yes. the health of the person, and don't think you're going to see all of those particular colors. But for reference, you know, this is what you have. So definitely, I think it's important to focus on the pain of things. There's no greater motivator of man than pain. Everybody can relate to pain. So really, um, laser focus in on the things every reader can relate to versus only the readers who have held a bastard sword or (laughs) who have swung a mace you know Mm -hmm. how many people really have done that so focus on the human experience essence of the scene which is the pain and the sensory details of it oh i think that's and the emotional impact yes i was gonna mention that ptsd yeah oh thank you thank you (laughs) very seldom does somebody it, it it seems so easy to kill people. And you would oh, look, you know, we look at crime statistics and we think, oh, it's no big deal. You just, you know, shoot somebody, you go about your day. No. It has a lasting impact. Mm-hmm. It really does. And even if the person just kind of goes blank, that's an impact. That's not yeah, yeah. normal. It's not normal to feel absolutely nothing. And one of two things is, is going to take place. Either that person has some psychopathic or sociopathic Mm -hmm. Um, issues with their brain, which is not normal, or they're going to put it in a little box in the side of their brain and not deal with it, in which case it's going to come up somewhere else in their life. Even just nightmares, something. um, Yeah. I cannot, it is so common from what I've seen when people kill somebody else that they, they dream about that person Mm -hmm. again and again. And I mean, these are even people in jail who have killed multiple people. Um, in World War II, they did a study. There is a book called On Killing by S.L.A. Oh. Marshall. Uh, it, there's a lot of, it, there's a subtitle with it too, but the main is On Killing. And, and he did a study of um, the soldiers and the uh, Pacific American Theater and um, how many bullets per kill. And it was an obscene, I forget, like 60-something bullets for every one kill. Mm. And there is one um, instance where they had an enemy combatant running over a, running through an empty um, clearing. 
mm-hmm. and you had all these American soldiers shooting at them, and none of them hit them. It was very oh. Star Wars, very, very stormtrooper <laughs> aiming. And they were all shooting over their head, or they were shooting in front of him on the ground. And it's because inherently killing another person is not a normal place to exist. It's not mm-hmm. our homeostasis. It should not be. Right. And so between World War II and the Vietnam War, that's the one that came next. Yeah. The Vietnam mm-hmm. War, they started operant conditioning. And it's the same thing they have to do with police officers. And it they literally not only train soldiers to kill from a techni- tactical standpoint, they train them from a psychological standpoint. And so they went through operant conditioning and all these little, all these things, you know, when you hear policemen talk about um, criminals that may have been killed, they don't, they don't say the person, they say the perp, they say the Mm -hmm. target and, and that is distancing themselves from the the other and it's the other. And it's not a matter of coldness. It's to help their brain process everything they've been through. So yeah, and and my book focuses a lot on that. I think um, people expect my book to be all about punching and kicking. And I would say a good half of it, more than half of it is not. And um, is divided into five rounds. And there's sa- chapters within those rounds. The rounds are sections. It's five rounds like a championship MMA oh, fight. Nice. And the second round is all about the human experience. You know, oh, yes. it's it's what happens to us psychologically when we kill mm-hmm. another person. Um, it's about what adrenaline does to you, what a surge does, what a dump does. It, it <laughs> talks about mental manipulation and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So, you know, little things like that, that that people don't realize. I'm also amazed how many um, characters, though they are soaked in adrenaline, just think so clearly. Oh my gosh. So, and their hands are steady. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I have had people ask me to sign things just after practice. And I, I can't, I mean, my hand yeah. is shaking. It's, it's the adrenaline. It's, yeah. it's what it does to your body. So um, yeah, I think the opportunities that writers are missing are actually the opportunities that number one are the easiest opportunity to take Yeah, and they make the most lasting impression. So step away from the technical aspect of it. I'm not saying make it completely crazy. You know, I'm saying, look, there's some things that just ain't a thing. Picking up somebody (laughs) by their neck and talking to them in the real Mm -hmm. world ain't a thing. Not possible. You'd have to be an ogre at least. Yeah. (laughs) Even then, because I did. um, Yeah. Oh, I know. Because my husband works in oil and gas and he's had to uh, go to companies that do, they rent large equipment, everything. And I asked him something about um, cranes. Uh-huh. And there is actually a formula they go through to create a crane so that you know how much weight you can lift before that crane topples over. Right. Oh, that's and true. And so even if I am strong enough to hold you up, your can weight is going to topple me forward. That yeah. was something in the Wonder Woman movie. I have so many issues <laughs> with the Wonder Woman movie. I love Gal Gadot as an actress. Yes. I think she does a beautiful job. Yeah. But there's one scene in the most recent movie where um, she's holding a man over the balcony. I think she's holding him by his foot. And what? she's leaning over and talking to him. And I'm like, Gal Gadot is what, a buck 25 with weights on? Mm-hmm. And she's holding this 200-pound man. She may be strong enough to do it, but physics isn't going to let that happen. Physics no. is going to pull her over the edge. Yeah. So um, That's true. Yeah, make, make it easier. And just remember, physics is a thing. The majority yep. of fighting is physics. 
So. Yes. Oh, I think that is actually a fantastic go. note to wrap up on because that is that is something so, you know, even though we're talking about fantasy, even though we ha- can play with magic and maybe tweak the physics of oh, our absolutely. world a little bit, there's things mm-hmm. that are real. We still have gravity. Magic has rules. Yes, the it rule, does. You have to establish the rules of your magic. Mm-hmm. You have to establish reality for your reader immediately. Okay? Right. If everybody on the planet has superhuman strength, it's not superhuman anymore. It's the norm. <laughs> That's true. That's so you true. better know the rules of your world and you better print them out and keep them on the wall so that you can just glance at them so you don't have to open a file. Because let me tell you who will remember the rules of your world, and that's your readers. Absolutely. So I, I like and I always say, don't cross the streams, meaning from Ghostbusters at the, oh, at right, the original right. Ghostbusters, the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't cross don't the cross. streams. Everything in the world will go into nothing. And that's then right. what do they do? To they get the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yep, they, they do it. The streams. Oh, but, they had to. but we love the movie. They, did. they had to. They had to. But they broke their own rules. They so did. just if you're gonna put if you have little rules to remember that you keep on your wall behind your computer, put up don't cross the streams. All keep right. the rules handy. Do not defy the rules of your world. Do not defy the rules of your magic. And right. you I'm sorry if we're going over time. Do I just Oh, need we're fine. Don't right go now? for it. Okay, okay, okay. You have to have characters. That can be beatable. They uh, yes. cannot be oh my invincible. Gosh, yes. That's very true. Oh my gosh. If they're invincible, then the story's over. Over. Even First page. Thanos. Oh, First yes. page. It's yeah. done. Thanos. Even Thanos can be beaten. Superman can be beaten. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, what your care if you're having a hard time figuring out, well, how can you beat this person? Okay. Well, a lot of times their strength is is linked to their weakness. Thanos is super, super, super huge. And so what mm-hmm. defeated him? Tiny little nanobots. Yeah, you know, they were able to, true. right? I, I'm pretty sure that's, that's what right. it was. Um, another one, Superman, why is he so mm-hmm. strong? Because his home planet, mm-hmm. you know, they have this sun and they have different gravity. Okay, well, what's mm-hmm. his weakness? Something from Something his home from planet. Home. Yeah. Kryptonite. You know, so look at... And, and while we're talking about fantasy, let me just, I'm going to digress super quick. Oh, sure. Dragons. Dragons. <laughs> oh, I love dragons. Dragons. I love dragons. I think we need to do them justice. You mm. ain't going to stand on the back of a dragon while we'll it's fly. flying. Yeah. You're not going to do that. It's like They're- standing on an airplane. <laughs> it's not going to happen. When people think, oh, you've just got reins. And I'm like, okay, have you ever been on a horse? That's I Do you know when you stand too. up on a Yes. When you stand up on a horse, it's considered trick riding for mm-hmm. a reason. So if you are riding, I should have gotten into the fantasy stuff straight off the bat. I apologize for that. If you are riding on the back of the dragon and you're like, what weapon should my person have if they're on the back of a dragon? You're on the back of a dragon. <laughs> Advantage you. You don't yes. need a weapon. Okay? You are on the it's weapon. Like being in a, you are on the weapon. It's like, well, my person is, my soldier is in a tank. What weapon does he need? He's in a tank. You know, <laughs> He's got the use weapon, the yeah. dragon. Absolutely. If you need your wag, you know, your dragon to do something, have them drop something from their claws. Oh, brilliant. You know, yeah. or have them use their use that tail for heaven's sake. Now, they can't use it so well while they're flying because mm. they need that tail while they're for flying. Rudder. 
Yeah. You, yes, it's a rudder. And you have to remember when the dragon takes off, it doesn't take off like a helicopter. You know, it's <laughs> going to have to flap. And so the person on top is going to mm-hmm. be, I'm not saying you can't ride a dragon. I'm just saying, I want to see that saddle. And mm-hmm. I also don't think you can be able to keep your eyes open because of how fast they're moving. You're going to need goggles. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're going to need goggles. Also, I don't think dragon smoke is black. I think it's white. And here is why. Whenever you see you have a fire and the dark smoke comes out of it, the dark smoke is what could not be burned off. Okay? It is what could not be efficiently consumed by the fire. A dragon, whatever is the source of their flame, pretty sure it's going to be efficient enough (laughs) to not have anything left over. Yeah, so it's you may char, seem yeah. steam. It, yeah, you may seem steam in the air because the you know the humidity in the air, but I don't think there's going to be elements of that flame that aren't going to burn. That mm. just doesn't make sense to me. So I, I that's like my, that. That's, and I talk about dragons in the book, and I and I call oh. it my my dragon soapbox. Oh. I have a dragon soapbox. <laughs> I, I do. I love dragons. I, it, it's hard for me to imagine, and uh, you know what? Call me crazy. Don't care. Clearly, I don't care. <laughs> Every culture in the world has, has had a concept of a dragon. I know. And so you're telling me nothing like that ever existed? How can the Vikings and, you know, the Chinese who had never encountered each other mm-hmm. both have dragons? You yeah. know, you have Quetzalcoatl. Exactly. And I was going to say kind of a, Yeah. He's feathered yeah. serpent. And they, yeah. Exactly. So... I, and, you know, there there are descriptions in the Bible that you're like, oh, okay, maybe there was such a thing. So also, yeah, get your dragon right. People, <laughs> get your dragon right. If it is a water dragon, its construction is going to be different than if it's an ice dragon. It's going to be different than, you know, and not all dragons may have wings. Some of them may oh, not. Yeah. So, But I'm sorry. I love fantasy. Love it, love it, love it. And so... um. That's one of my hangups. <laughs> it is. Great. Well, I'm not going to complain about that hangup. I think it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. yeah. I already could talk to you for like, there's just so many nuances that I would love to get oh into gosh. in yeah. fantasy. Oh my God. Yeah. This would, this was so much fun. So yeah, I, I think we would carry on here for the next two hours oh, easily. Yeah. Don't get me started about armor. I can go off on oh. armor. I can go off about the weaponry. Armor is determined by the weaponry. It's not the other way around. The armor that existed at the time of crossbows is not going to be the same as the armor that existed before, you know, crossbows. Armor from Japan is going to be different than armor from Europe. And that has to do with the um, availability of natural resources. So yeah, again, I could go off on that, but I know you were running out of time. I apologize. Oh, you know, we, we, like I said, I, I don't think that any listener is going to complain one bit it's so true i mean just to think about things like that like you have different cultures even if you're not using china you're not using the earth think about the technology the weapons and the armor is going to be different depending on what's it this is an aspect you're right everyone's like medieval yeah right and i can i can do a whole podcast on creating weaponry too they look the way they do because they serve a certain purpose not just because it's cool so, oh darn if you ever have (laughs) if you have a podcast on creating weaponry and all that kind of stuff 
girl, I will talk your ear off on that. Uh, well, maybe we'll have to think about doing this a, a, a follow up on something like that because that would maybe be, so. Oh, that would be great. Freaking blast! Well, I and I'm so excited to know dragons are in your fight right book because you know, you just hooked me. That's oh, like yeah. we could just <laughs> we could have, have like, a whole make your chapter. Right? Oh, that's so brilliant! Right? Yeah. I have a fighting robots, dragons, robots, aliens, and beasties. When I got oh. um, a contract with Writers Digest, they said, "Can two things? Can you add twenty five thousand words, <laughs> and can you add a chapter on fighting aliens?" And I'm like, "Can I write a chapter on fighting aliens? That can be my twenty five thousand words, right?" there so yes if you are fighting mythical creatures if you have special (sighs) circumstances even i talk about you know battling telekinesis and all that kind of crazy stuff so there's a lot yeah there's a lot of really groovy stuff in the book yeah that's all like i think just about every listener's dream come true is being offered a book contract and saying can you write about fighting aliens or dragons just throw that in there too and oh, you let your nerd show? Oh, oh, I can so let my nerd show. It's like, yeah, what Star Trek pajamas do you want me to wear while I ride it? Because I have <laughs> is... several. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. And yeah, we may have to, we'll have to get listeners. You want to follow up, you know, let us know and we will maybe Please. ask Carla back on. That would yes. be brilliant. Absolutely. So let everyone know. I will obviously have tons of links in the show notes, but let people know where thank to you. find you. The quickest way to find me is fightright, F-I-G-H-T-W-R-I-T-E dot net. If you mistake and do F-I-G-H-T-R-I-G-H-T, you're still going to get there. I own them both. <laughs> um, it will lead you to the blog and the index. Just go to the index and peruse it. I'm trying to make it very search engine optimized so that you can really find keywords nice. quick. And you can also buy my book directly from there. Um, fightright, F-I-G-H-T-W-R. It's right here. It's right there on the back. Oh, yeah, it's right there. Fight right, F I G H T. Yeah, how to write believable fight scenes with Writer's Digest. Um, look me up on the Instagram hashtag Fight Right. Um, Carla C Because every now and then I'll put out a call on my story on Hey, let me answer some question for you, and I, I'll go IGTV. I do have a YouTube channel that I have grossly abandoned, but I will get back <laughs> to it. I just had too much going on, so that's the best way to find me. Um, I have a contact form in the blog and and on my website, and I I literally answer questions, people. So send them my way. That's how I know what to write about on the blog. Mm, you know, I can write about right. what I think is interesting, or I can yeah, or I can write about what readers actually uh, writers want me to answer for them so feel free to reach out anytime that is good and if you go to your website take a look at your about section which is hilarious (laughs) on your website yes i'm just gonna leave that hook there to make people go and read your about section it's adorable so you know somebody called somebody called me and they said i found your bio on a writer's blog. This is like six years ago. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they were saying how to write a funny bio. And they had used my bio. And I'm like, um, my bio is real. It's not funny. So get over yourselves. Yeah. So read the bio. Yeah. 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 And it, it also perfect. tells what all my fight, fight experience is. Yes. Which is definitely, you have a resume there alone of what your fight yeah. experience is. It is brilliant. Oh yeah. my gosh. Next time I'm in Texas, I am definitely stopping by. It would be way too much fun. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excuse for a road trip. <laughs> yes. Cool. So come back next week for Monday where it'll be another one of our famous top 10 worst lists with Jesper and I. 
They're awesome. They're so much fun. If you like what you just heard, awesome. there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcast and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on Patreon.com slash AmWritingFantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday. <laughs>